Hello, Colorado. Legal weed. I'd find myself at the mall having the most bizarre cotton crotch conversations with total strangers. But it's just, it's a long road to hoe. And I've got a jar full of change. Our pay was uh, was dinner, which was cold cuts and uh, chips. I had a decade of just fucking fun. Welcome to another episode of In the Springs. I'm your host, Ryan Lowry. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. On today's show, I sit down with veteran stand-up comedian Brent Thomas. This episode was recorded on September 26th at the legendary Looney's Comedy Corner right here in Colorado Springs. So without further ado, please sit back and enjoy because comedian Brent Thomas is In the Springs. Testies, testies. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Works. We'll start off with the uh, highbrow stuff right out of the gate. There you thing. go. Yeah, I'm a dick joke artist, so there you go. <laughs> All, All right. right. So I have got Mr. Brent Thomas in the springs. Hello, Colorado. How the heck are you? Doing good. All right. So how's it going? How was the weekend? We're here on uh, mid-show or uh, in-between shows now, Saturday. Oh, they've been fun. They've been fun. Decent crowds. And yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of start at the start. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you got into stand-up and... How long you been in this ridiculous line of work? And I started. What keeps in, you going? What keeps you going? <laughs> Other than the booze. Legal weed. <laughs> no, I uh, I started in '87. It was a New Year's Eve resolution, believe it or not, and uh, I tried it back in 1980. In uh, October of '87, I went to the Funny Bone and did open mic, and I heard people laugh, and that was it. I had after once I heard people laugh, I said, "This is what I got to do," and I've been doing it ever since. No kidding. Yeah. Now, were you a fan of stand-up kind of leading into that? Or oh, were, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I grew up on the greats, you know, like fucking Carlin and Richard Pryor and people like that. Yeah. Bill Cosby before he found Quaaludes and you know, stuff like that. So what was that, what was that first time like for you? I mean, were you a... Uh, I mean, did you write down jokes kind of word for word or just have ideas that you were kicking around and got up and... Yeah, I, I kind of... I had a stupid-ass joke about, uh, I see it was, yee-haw, that's what it sounds like when a real cowboy has an orgasm. That was my first joke. <laughs> and, I, and I said, and, and my punchline was, I guess, well, your partner replies, moo. You know, because there's a lot of cowboys in Texas, obviously. Right, right. And, uh, a lot of rednecks and shit. So, yeah. uh, but, but people laughed at it, as stupid as it was, and... So I just kept going after that. So now, what does that mean? You kept going after? Were you hitting open mics? Or I, yeah, I started doing open mic nights okay. and uh, and just continued chasing after open mic nights till I got into a position where somebody wanted to pay me to do this shit. And, uh, that was in Lubbock, beautiful Lubbock, Texas. And, okay. Uh, got to do it. I I was on vacation. You know, back then I, I was selling pantyhose for a living. Back then, no, not door to door. And uh, I was a sales rep for Haynes Hosiery. I kid you not. That's no what I was kidding. doing when I uh, found out I wanted to be a stand up. And uh, I'd find myself at the mall having the most bizarre cotton crotch conversations with total strangers. <laughs> and I'm at a Dillard's doing inventory, and this woman comes in. She, we start talking about pantyhose. It was a normal day on the job. And 
You know, and then out of the blue, she goes, you know, I cut the crotch out because it's cooler. You know, and how do you answer that? <laughs> All I could come up with was I'm happier ventilated. Like so. physically cooler or aesthetically yeah, cooler? I, I don't know, but <laughs> I didn't want to see. I knew that. <laughs> right. So now at what point when you started doing stand-up did it become a job for you? Or when did it feel like, yeah, this is what I do now? Oh, uh, in, uh, well, in September the 13th of 1991, Friday the 13th, I quit my day job. And just started doing stand up and uh and that was the only thing I was doing back then. And just going I was just going on the road doing open mics and just uh starving a lot and uh just kept doing stand up. Yeah. You know, just get hired here and there and at the comedy clubs and then you work your way up to from opener to feature and feature to headliner and all that. So how how has stand up changed since you first started i mean i know i think a lot of people have this image in their head when you sort of get to that certain level you've got management and there's people booking shows for you and all that kind of stuff i don't know that they realize that for the most part most working comedians do all of that kind of stuff yeah i, I never got to the point where there were other people booking shit for me I yeah was, yeah i was i was all of those guys yeah i was the booker i was the uh the press guy i was the 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 talent i was the agent i was you're fucking my guy he right. needs more money. Right. And right. they're like, well, do you want to do it or not? And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't have any bookings that week. So early on when you were just, because I know, you know, certainly when guys are getting started, they, you'll, you'll typically say yes to everything, whatever gig comes up. Well, yeah, as long as it pays, because you, you got to pay the bills. And, and so what were some of the, you know, early on before you really had, you know, kind of your, I guess, you know, scruples as far as what the industry was like, what were some of the gigs that you did where you got on stage and you're like, oh my God, why... Why, why am I here? Why am I here? Um, some well, some of the uh, corporate gigs were that way. They were just they were they were not fun to do. They paid really well, but you know they weren't fun because here we are. It's a small company, and, and they got the president right in the middle, and then all of his people surround him. And you tell a joke, and they all look at the president. And if the president of the company laughs at the joke, then they would all laugh at the joke. But yeah. if he didn't laugh, then nobody laughed. And so it kind of sucked when, but they paid so well. I mean, you could pay make more money on, on a corporate gig in one night than you could in a whole week in a club. Yeah. So did you ever and try to cater your material specifically for that type of work just from a financial standpoint that you knew you could make more money so you were going to go after that, that kind yeah, of work? Yeah, I cut my hair short, and I had, I had real long hair. I had a mullet before the lesbians took it over, and I got laid a lot with that haircut. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I cut my hair short and cleaned up my act a whole lot to try and do more corporate stuff. But just uh, they always paid well, but they were never fun. Yeah, you know, just unlike the comedy clubs where you know people they're in the clubs, it's a comedy club. People are gonna tell jokes. They're they're ready and they, you know and, and you can just cut loose and do what you do. Now did 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 did, did that bother you doing corporate shows that weren't fun? Because I know you know again it was, it was a paycheck. Yeah, that's what you, that that was the way that you. Uh, massaged your sore ego because nobody laughed all night and you're just like sucking wind but you're like but yeah but look how much money i made yeah you know because because you get paid so well for those and and so those made up for it. and then you'd go out back on the road and and work comedy clubs and one-nighters and that's where you had fun doing comedy and you also got paid for it just did not as much gotcha so when people did the and i hate to to dwell on the corporate stuff because i think you know like you said a lot of times comedians will go down that road because all the ones you can make a thousand dollars in a night, right? Versus five hundred dollars on a weekend, right? Um, but d when when people hired, you know, h hired Brent Thomas, did they get a Brent Thomas show, or did you have to really kind of bite your tongue on some of the material that you threw out at those events? Or, oh yeah, yeah, it was more. Uh, 
more of a PG rated and it was a lot cleaner. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm a dick joke guy. I, I'm a comedy club guy. I, I, I tell dirty jokes and that's what I always have fun doing. And that's, but, uh, but for those things, yeah, you would clean it up and, and try to, to, you try to make everybody happy. Yeah. Of course you never can, but you try. Right. Right. Now, do you, did you was there a point in your career, you know, when you first started, you, you kind of hear that generic language of a comedian sort of finding their voice or having, you know, a, a point of view or that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like that? I mean, did you have a moment where it's like, this is Brent Thomas. I'm kind of getting a handle on. Yeah. I just, just, I'm, I'm just, well, the problem is I'm, I'm a middle-aged white guy in a sea of middle-aged white guys, you know? So, but I just, I just, I'm myself and, uh, yeah, I kept looking for like a, the catchphrase and you might be a red, you know, or you might be, if you're one of these and hot, hot diggity. <laughs> right. I say hot diggity after every joke to people laugh at it. Hot diggity. How about that? <laughs> uh, you try, but you know, I just and I, I finally just found you know I'm just I'm just a smart ass guy with a with a sarcastic point of view, and that, that's who I am. So that's that's what I do when I'm up there. So did you ever have a like a game plan as far as this is what you know? These are the goals that I'm setting for myself, or was it just sort of? I'm going to go up and tell jokes and see what happens, and then I'm going to spin around and do it again the next night and the next night after that. Well, as far as... Well, week to week, you're working on the material you're working on, so I'm going to work on these jokes this week and and try to, to improve your act as you're going. But uh, And obviously, the, the, the long-term goal was always to, to be the headliner and then have your career go forward from there. But it, it's uh, there's a lot more politics involved and a lot more bullshit than America ever knows about. Yeah. You know, just because you're funny doesn't mean you get the job. Now, what, now what do you mean? By, like, what's the kind of inside baseball look at, at that? What do you mean well, by... Well, it's one of those things where you, you're working in a club, you know, and, you, and, they, and you're not headlining, but the, the guy who is headlining is not funny as all, at all, but politically he's there, so he's the headliner. And he's making the money, and you're not because, you know, I mean, I, I've worked with some guys that I was funnier than them, and you could tell by the audience response and all that, but they were the headliner because of the political connections or whatever. And, you know, and, and I'm not bitter. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's been other times when, uh, when uh, you know, usually the, the people that book these things, they've done it along enough where they, they know how to set people up and, you know, the, this guy is an opener, this guy's a feature, this guy's a headliner, you know. And uh, I headlined a lot and I, a lot of open mics and, and smaller venues, but... Uh, I'm a pretty good feature, yeah. you know, and that's it. And I, I have no, no dreams or, or uh, fantasies of being anything better than that because I don't really chase it anymore. But yeah, you know, but for a long time there though, I was really trying. Now, now, what is, what does that mean? Where you're, you kind of made a. It sounds like you sort of made a decision in your career where you weren't going to chase it anymore. So what did that? How did that affect you, and what does that mean exactly? I, I was a lot happier uh, because because when you're when you're a starving artist and you you know you're driving a fucking twelve year old car with three hundred thousand miles on it and you you can't pay your bills and you're starving and and you're just you're mad all the time you're just angry all the damn time because people who have no talent whatsoever have control over your destiny you know and all these comedy club guys that 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 complain about comics I was like well what is the business you're in it's comedy. Right. Yes, I mean, comics are assholes, but you got to put up with us because you own a comedy club. <laughs> right. Now, why do you think that is? Because I, you know, I, I did comedy once upon a time, and I think I kind of experienced just a very, very small fraction of that, where there was some folks 
in the industry who weren't comedians, mm -hmm. but they didn't seem very supportive of comedians. Does that? Yeah, well, they're, it's a business. I mean, that's, you, you have to get over your ego and realize the reason I'm up there is to sell drinks. Yeah. That's the whole deal, you know. I'm just there to entertain them while, so they can order some more food and more drinks and stuff. And and uh, and if you get them to laugh, then that that's the bonus, you know. And uh, but I don't know. Um, a lot of people in this industry, uh, you know, the bookers and the agents and all that, they're they're there for a reason. But uh, but a lot of them have never done it, so you know it's kind of hard to swallow their their input sometimes. Yeah. You know, you've never told a joke in your life, and here you're telling me this, blah, 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 blah. But they've also watched a lot of guys do it. Right, know, right. And, uh, so what advice so. would you give a comedian, you know, particularly now where it seems like the market is sort of saturated with... Totally. Yeah. You know, with the internet, and, and people can, can kind of get famous from their living room doing whatever that, you know, whatever... Well, if you can do that, do that first. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you serious when you say that, if that's something where... If if you can kind of get an audience from your living room, oh, any anything that if you can get an audience that 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 is anything that makes you a draw, is gonna gonna behoove you, in a comedy career. Yeah, the whole point is to put butts in the seats, and the more butts you put in the seats, the more money you're gonna make, and that's the reason why you see all these these big time headline guys. You know, they don't come to the comedy clubs anymore; they go to huge arenas, because they can sell that many tickets. Right, right. And buy another mansion. Yeah, you know so. I mean, so but, would, you, would you encourage the kid that comes up to you and says, hey, you know, hey, man, I'm I'm really funny at work and I, I want to give this a shot. I mean, is this, you know, a line just from a, a purely business standpoint, is this a line of work where you would be like, look, man, go for it. Give it five, ten years. Yeah. Head first, balls out. Do what yeah. you can. If you, As long as you're having fun, do it. Yeah. yeah. Anybody wants to try it. Sure. You know, open mics and stuff. And, and if you, you're getting laughs, you know, and, you know, you'll, you'll meet a lot of people along the way. Comedians are very... Uh, they help each other out a lot. They're very, uh, I can't remember the word I'm trying to say here, but they're very supportive. That's the word. And, uh, so, uh, they'll help you out. And, um, but it's just, it's a long road to hoe. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I did it for a long time and, and, and I, as long as it's fun, keep doing it. That, that's what I tell anybody. As long as you're having fun, keep going. Yeah. But there's a lot of, uh, things in your way especially starting out today being a young guy doing it you know but but they also have a different point of view yeah you know i'm 54 i have an old guy point of view on this you know <laughs> i'm old school and, and so if they if the audience is older then they get me you know but the really young guys they don't you know yeah. they, they're like ah oh, shit it's just it's a guy the age of my dad so in hindsight are there any you know any shortcuts or and i don't mean that in like a negative way no. but anything that where it's like man i really should have focused on the coasts or i should have focused on this oh, or i yeah. should have focused you know that type of thing that that would still translate today where somebody coming up be like man your your energy is best spent here no i think it's uh, get out and do it and and then as as long as you can you know go to the coast if you can yeah get in front of as many different people as you can because that, that's going to give you different experiences and, and the being on the road and those experiences that's what writes material and makes you a better comedian and yeah. it's doing it night after night after night till you have this act in your head and you know it's because uh, it morphs over time right, you know right. you can watch a headliner at the first of a year doing a headline set and then at the end of the year he'll he'll do another hour of material and it, and it won't have all the same stuff and it'll all be modified and it'll all be smoother and better and funnier, yeah. hopefully, you know? So, but, um, like I said, uh, if you're a young guy and you want to do it, just, uh, prepare to be poor for a long time. 
because because that's that's the <laughs> the answer that's going to happen to you. You right. know, so if you're young and you're tough and you're resilient, yeah, then go for it. Yeah. You, you got to have a thick skin. Got to. You'll hear the word no a lot of times. Yeah. So now, when you were hip deep in it, you know, early on in your career, yeah. on the road, and you know, like you said, you know, starving and hungry, and mm-hmm. what, what did you enjoy about that? Was there anything about that you look back, you know, fondly? Well, it, at? it was exciting. Every 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 trip was an adventure. You know, I mean, here I am, I'm I'm on the road. I'm, I have a Honda Civic. It gets forty miles to the gallon. I've got a Texaco card, and I've got a jar full of change. And all I know is that 300 miles from here is my first gig, and I'm getting $125. And so I go to the gig, and you know, there's the 125 bucks. And so now I parlay that to make it to the next gig to make another hundred bucks. Right. And you just keep doing that, and you just hope that these that the finances keep coming in, so you have enough to get back home when you're done with all these gigs. <laughs> you know, and you always you try to book them in a circle, so you go out and come back. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, they don't always happen that way. Some guys will offer you stuff, you know, and it's like halfway across the country. And you're like, well, yeah, but if I do that, it's going to cost me $3,000 to get home from there. <laughs> no, I suspect with the, you know, the amount of experience that you've got, you probably could write several books, not a book, mm-hmm. about stories from the road and, and different gigs that you did. But, you know, mm-hmm. kind of off the top of your head, is there something that that stands out either you know, being on the road or a, a particular gig that you did or somebody that you worked with that was like, one of those surreal, holy shit, <laughs> what is going on kind of moments? Um, oh, I had one of those in the, back in the open mic days. Uh, early on, I did a jo- show at uh, Federal Correctional Institute, Fort Worth. That's a federal prison. We did two <laughs> shows. And, uh, and, and our pay, I'm doing quotation air, marks. Air quotes. Our pay, <laughs> our pay was, uh, was dinner, which was cold cuts and uh, chips. Ooh, yummy. And a cold drink. <laughs> And I just did it for the experience of going in and out of the prison, you yeah. know, because because they they give you the the invisible bar stamp on your wrist and and a little bracelet thing and and uh, and the first show went great. It was 500 inmates and uh, we had four guys, four comics, and then the second show I was the third guy up, and about halfway through my little shtick, this one guy just wasn't buying what I had to say and he just starts yelling at me. He just goes, "Leave! Get off the stage!" and and I'd been doing comedy long enough, you know that. You know, in my mind, like I could think about what was going on and still keep doing my job. You know, and I was like, "Oh fuck this!" You know, I got cold cuts for this gig. <laughs> fuck this guy. And so I just stopped right there in mid joke, and I went, "All right, this guy wants me to leave. This guy wants me to get off the stage. So, dude, I want you to think about this when you go back to your cell. I'm walking out the fucking front door, <laughs> and I just put the mic in the stand, and the and the inmates went ape shit. I mean, it was just it was the only laugh I got the whole night, but no. it was the best one. <laughs> it was just they just exploded. No, and it, you know, inside we're like, holy shit, I'm gonna get shanked. Yeah, I, I just yeah, because you know none of the guards had weapons. We didn't have shit. You know, I'm just like I'm gonna get killed on the way out. Of it. Oh, that's crazy. And then I and then I left there, and I went to a bar. And told jokes at another bar and got drunk and then got high and then I got laid by a woman. See, so there. Who won? I did. So. I, I, I appreciate you throwing in a woman at the end of that. Well, because that guy probably got laid that night, too. <laughs> oh, man. No, he made me sweat on that one. He probably played bitch. But anyway. <laughs> That's right. So, so you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really I'm enamored with, with stand-up comedy in general and, mm-hmm. and certainly guys that do it. I mean, like you said, they're, it, it's... It's a tough gig. There's, there's no yeah, doubt about it. When you're on stage, it's amazing. Everything mm-hmm. in between can, can, can grind you down, you know, to a nub over, over the years or whatever right. that might be. So when you first started out, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a cynical, negative way, but how has your act changed over the years? I mean, have you always had sort of the same 
perspective and persona on stage or has it changed due well, to kind of your personal circumstances and well you learn who you are and, and like i say i'm a middle-aged white guy like i like i said and race has nothing to do with it but I, i'm a middle-aged guy so as 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 i matured and my jokes matured <laughs> i'm still telling dig jokes so they're not that mature but but um yeah you just kind of you find the way that you tell jokes and, and the way that what you what makes you comfortable no you just you just it, it it's, it's a very slow process over time and, you, and it changes you know, um, when you first start, you're scared to death, and that's adrenaline, and it's the best drug there is. But you know, as you get older and, and you do this uh, over time, you control that dr- adrenaline, and that's that's the high that we get for going up there, which is also the the bonus and the payoff and the freebie. Yeah. But because um, it's a fun and it's exciting when you're up there, you know, and uh, and it's it's a it's a charge, you know, it's a it's a high. Yeah. And it's the best drug there is. I'll tell you that one. I mean, I've tried it most. <laughs> I mean, having said that, do you ever see a point where you'll walk away 100%? Or do you think you'll always get back up on stage? Mm. Yeah, I think I, I still, like I said, I, I don't tour on the road anymore, but I still work in Dallas a lot. Yeah. You know, and I, I still, every once in a while, I get paying gigs here and there, but I don't chase after them. But, but I still do open mics and because it's still fun to do it. I'm still a ham yeah. at heart. And most guys, anybody who does this, they're, they're all hams. Yeah. You know, we love the attention, and that's why we get up there and do it. Right, right. So now, who are your who are your heroes or your mentors? Either folks that you actually know and worked with, or just people that are in the industry that that you admired, and and yeah. certainly why? Why would you pick them? Uh, well, the headliner I'm working with tonight, Robert Hawkins, is one of my best friends, and and he's uh, actually still making a living doing this, so he's one of my heroes for sure. Uh, a lot of them that we lost, like Robin Williams, and uh, he's one of the only guys I ever paid retail to go see. Paid a hundred bucks a head to see Robin Williams. Is he that had right? two hours, dude. No opener, no nothing. It was incredible. But, um, you know, so guys like that. Um, I worked with Lewis Black back before he before he was big. That was very cool. Um, Robert Schimmel was oh, really yeah. cool. Oh, John Panette, uh, Daniel Tosh. I've worked with a lot of guys, you know, and uh, Joe Rogan. But, uh, you know, a lot of them, it's, it's, you're the opener and, and a local guy, so you don't really get to hang with them. You don't get to talk with them because, you know, they're like, oh, you're just the fucking opener and, you know, good job, whatever. You know, and then, then they blow you off because there's a girl with titties walking by and they're like, they're trying to get laid, you know, so they don't want to talk to you. And, uh, but others, other guys are real cool and very supportive. You know, it just depends on who they are and, and is the chemistry together, you know, because, you know, they put us in condos or, or hotels. And uh, if we're in condos and apartments, then you're living with a guy for a week. Right, right. And so you hope to God you get along. Yeah. You know? Now, is there any common thread as far as the guys that you're drawn, or the comedians, I should say, that you're drawn to, either the type of material they do or their work ethic or how they deliver? I mean, are there folks that you admire for a particular, I guess, kind of a technical reason almost as far as how they do their stand-up or how they approach their their work? Not really. Just, just funny's funny. Yeah. So you don't over... Because I think some guys... A lot of people try to overthink stuff. Right, yeah. right. So I, you know, I just, if it makes me laugh, it makes me laugh. And if yeah. it doesn't make me laugh, then I quit watching. Yeah. So there's a lot of sitcoms that click. Right. Now, you just recently got married, correct? Yeah, back in May. Gotcha. And, and how does that factor into comedy? Is she supportive? Is she uh, she doesn't different? Want me, she doesn't <laughs> want me to leave to do it. Yeah. So she, she's, she would rather I just stay home. And, yeah. You know, she'll come and see me do it in Dallas, but she doesn't want me going on the road. Gotcha, so. gotcha. And that's fine. I understand. Yeah. So yeah. what? This is kind of a corny question, but what is your what is your proudest accomplishment? 
you know, professionally from a from a stand-up comedy standpoint. Proudest accomplishment? Yeah, something you can kind of look back on and you know, kind of. Oh, that that I was able to do it for 16 years and and actually make a living doing it. I I, I had a decade of just fucking fun, dude. I I traveled around the country and went snow skiing and snowboarding and mountain biking and told jokes to drunk people all over the place and slept late every day and loved every minute of it. That's uh. It's it's a fantasy life for a little while. You just can't. It takes a toll on you, though. You can't do it forever. Yeah. It's a young man's game, that's for sure. Well, Brent Thomas, man, it was a uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. And uh, you too, right? Yeah, I appreciate you being Very here cool. on the show. And uh, you know, certainly best of luck, and look forward to catching up with you again soon. Well, thank you so much. All right, thanks, Brent. Okay, take it easy. So there you have it, stand-up comedian Brent Thomas. My thanks to Brent for taking time out between shows on a Saturday night to be on the podcast. Thank you to the legendary Looney's Comedy Corner for their continued support. And as always, thank you for listening to In the Springs. The In the Springs podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow In the Springs on Twitter at RPL underscore MetaJunk. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs. Springs.